0: Today's scripture reading is going to be from the first book of Malachi, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this, and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Left, and you will find uh, Malachi there. That's much better, isn't it? There you go. If you scroll down the feed, you'll see story after story after story of a strained nation, stressed and distressed by unraveling culture and economy in both upheaval and a downturn, political and religious corruption, families falling apart, and faith in God among his people even has withered into cynicism and exhaustion. Another way of saying that is people are kind of done and tired of waiting on God. Worship is eroding into wearyship. Does that sound like the feed that you possibly opened up this morning? Whichever brand of social media feed that you scroll on sounds very much like 2023, doesn't it? And yet these are actually posts, if we can use that concept. These are posts from God through his prophet Malachi. And that we're going to find in this series over the next several weeks, is we're going to scroll through his ancient scroll, written about 432 B.C. We don't know exactly when it was, but it was sometime around that time. And so, uh, even as um, Caleb was reading, that's kind of the first post. That's what we'll go through today. But as we go through Malachi, it, it's going to feel like this is so 2023, By the conditions in the culture By the responses Or the withdrawal Or the cynicism Or the suspicion of his people God's people But also how we could enter into Well I get it If you don't see much of God's hand Or you feel like you don't Where is he in all this? What is going on? And so Malachi, I hope that rather than, um, and, and I would commend Caleb, he did not pronounce it like Italian prophet Malachi, right? It's Malachi. It's probably even not even that, but that's closer, Malachi. But as we read Malachi, you can easily get lost in it and go, look, I don't understand priests, and I don't understand sacrifices. And this is now, you use the word BC, buddy, so I'm, I'm already tuning out. And we could get kind of dismiss it. And I want to help us. I want to give us a little bit of context as we get going. Not a lot. I'll kind of give it each week as we go along. But I want to give us enough context so that we don't dismiss this ancient prophet and in the meantime miss what God has for us. Because this isn't a history lesson. But this is, as, as one uh, prof that I really enjoy, the way he talks about my job as someone getting up here to open God's word is to say, "Look at what God is say, saying to us we're not the we're not the primary focus we're not the original audience, but it's also not a letter of a dead guy in history and that's kind of boring to go through. Look at what God is saying to us, but we will miss that because uh, or we can can miss it because and doubtful. Any of you have as your life verse somewhere from Malachi? Do you, does anyone have a life verse from Malachi? Oh, Jacob, you almost raised your hand. No. All right. None of us has a life verse from Malachi. Right? The tendency for us, and now I'm going to lose some of you for being really recent and not ancient, but the tendency for many of us, I believe, as Christians is, I would call us like red zone channel Bible quoters and highlight real junkies. Okay, let me explain. Now I have to explain new stuff. Red Red zone channel, what that is, is um, if you pay enough money to get a high enough subscription, you can can skip through all the boring parts of the football game and just watch when a team enters the red zone, basically to see the scoring. You're like, buddy, where in the world are you going with that? Well, here's why. We're going to enter into the 400s B.C., and we're going to hear some stuff and read some stuff in Malachi. And let me tell you, this is much more like um, Auburn and A&M last week. If you watch it, most of you didn't watch it. Good for you. It was ugly football on both sides. A&M won, yes. Sorry, there you go. Ugly football, meaning a lot of holding penalties, fumbles. Um, Jimbo was on the field in my player's way. Like, it was, it was ugly football. And I would tell you that Malachi is written kind of in one of those times when it's like three and out punt, three and out fumble. That's, okay, some of you aren't football people. You already checked that on me. Come back. Red Zone Channel, what that does for you is it eliminates all that just hard stuff you have to wade through of, you know, second and 19. It just gets you right to the scoring, right to the highlights, in a similar way, we're also, many of us, as I used the, the idea of a feed, many of us, even as Christians, are kind of highlight real junkies. Oh, we just love scrolling through, and we see this verse, and we're like, yes, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I, the, you know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. plans to prosper you, not to harm you. future, and I hope, nothing wrong with that. But you also got to read, you know, Jeremiah 27 and 28, and Jeremiah there's a lot of fumbles. There's a lot of boring, hard stuff. I'm saying that to say, our tendency is to go to the Bible that way. Philippians 4.13 is not about how great an athlete you can be. When they you know, plaster it right under their eyes or whatever, that's not wrong, not bad, but it is very much out of context. It's written by a guy in prison saying, I've been dirt poor and I've been wealthy And God is teaching me through all the ups and downs and really the boring parts of life and the hard parts of life, how to rejoice again always, I say rejoice. And so that's what I want from the book of Malachi is for us to not dismiss him and in the process be in danger of missing what God has for you and for me. Because let me tell you, there's some very real stuff But it's going to come out as he's talking to a people that have been in the midst of the long, slogging, slow, not much happening season in Malachi. Look back at verse 1. Malachi 1. We're just going to be in the first five verses that Caleb read. This is the first post. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Some of your translations might say the burden... Of Malachi, or some of yours might say the charge through the prophet Malachi or the pronouncement or the announcement, something like that it's basically Malachi is god 's mouthpiece to god's people to bring god's message right in the midst of their real life right in the midst of what 's hard and difficult and boring and wearying, and so it 's the when he uses oracle, that's where I'm using the word, you can translate it burden, that that God wants to burden, and he often does this. He puts the burden on his messenger, whether it is Jeremiah, Habakkuk, other people we can't pronounce, and Malachi. And I want to give you just, you know, just a little bit of context here of where we are in the time frame of Israel, because that will help us understand why this is such a weighty deal. Okay, so Malachi's messages, these posts, as I'm saying, they are post-exile after captivity in Babylon. You just got lost right there. God's people, he went and um, said to Abram, said, hey, I'm going to take you to a place. He took him out of Ur of the Chaldees and said, out of you, I'm going to have a, there's going to be a family, and out of you, I'm going to make a nation, and and through you, I'm going to bless you, and through you, Bless all the nations of the earth, but you're going to be my set-apart people, so go. And Hebrews says that Abram went by faith, not knowing where he was going. None of us would counsel anyone to go to a place they don't know where they're going, but go ahead and pack up, leave your gods, and follow some god you heard from. But, but he does that, and he goes there, and as the men have been studying recently, Joseph ends up being... Uh, Joseph gets down to Egypt, a famine comes, the people have, uh, Joseph's family has to come down, and oh, surprise, you thought you ditched me, but here I am now in charge in Egypt, there's a famine, food, but in that process, he populated, and, and, and had now about a couple of million folks following him, and he redeems them out of Egypt, and he says, I'm redeeming you, and now you're mine, so now here's how to relate to me, here's how to worship me, uh, here's what you as an infant nation, my people, this is how we're going to operate. And he, and he says in Deuteronomy, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And in fact, he, he mentions, I will take you off into other nations. But when you return to me, I will bring you back. Okay, that's the context of God's people. Generally, they'd had one captivity in Egypt. They'd had an exodus out of it. And then they'd had God himself say, here's your worship guide. Well, now, years and years later, uh, speaking of Jeremiah, as he's preaching like, hey, we need to return the Lord. We've kind of abandoned him and we've, we're botching our relationship covenantally with him and he's going to take us off into exile. And he does, He takes him to Babylon. Even if you don't know your Bible, you probably have heard of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, that is when they were taken off as a people, and they were there 70 years, and God brought them back. I'm saying all this to say, Malachi is writing after that. The people uh, have now been returned for a little while. The temple has been rebuilt. The temple, when Babylon took them off, they desecrated the temple, You know, basically took everything out, burned it, flattened it, whatever, the people started to come back once the Persians took over from Babylon. They're like, hey, we'd like you to go back there and make that land profitable for us. And so they go back. And after a little while, the people kind of were like, hey, I'd like to put a little paneling in my house rather than worry about God's house, as they're supposed to be rebuilding the temple. And so Haggai comes along and spurs them on, like, we need to rebuild. And Zechariah, it's like, hey, we need to get our act together. Reorder ourselves under God's kingship, as we just sang about, and worship Him. So, two captivities, two exoduses, exodai, and two worship guides, both from the Exodus out of Egypt and the Exodus out of um, captivity back to Jerusalem. Rebuild the temple. Let's worship Him again. We can't believe that He actually was so faithful that it was exactly 70 years between 586 when the first temple was destroyed and 516 when the second one, when, when it was rebuilt. Let's worship this God. But that enthusiasm, that fervor began to fade. Also, the walls of Jerusalem were down. So even though you got a, you know, worship's kicking, the walls are down. You got people taunting you from the other nations and surrounding regions. So God sends Nehemiah. In 444 BC, Nehemiah led the folks to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem to fortify them, bringing about a, uh, another level of security, if you will, a little more freedom to worship and freedom from threats from the outside. And Ezra, around the same time period, to also say, let's get back to the Word of God being central to us. And so the worship of God was informed by the Word of God, which revealed his character, his promises. But just like with Haggai and Zechariah started to fade, the time of Malachi, when he sends these messages, when he speaks them probably and when he writes them, think Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and Malachi's words are right there saying, the temple is rebuilt. God has brought us back like he promised. But our worship and, and some other stuff is not good. There's corruption in the government. There's corruption in our families. And this is actually why I believe it is during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, because all the sins and um, complaints and chaos in families and corruption and government and religion, all those things are also listed and recorded in Nehemiah 13. Because Nehemiah not only came and rebuilt the wall, but he was also governor for a little bit and there's a little bit of order, and then he went away for about a dozen years, and it's kind of like as he was away or something, potentially, that things really started to wheels off again, if you will. And so, everything I read at the very beginning, you got a nation stressed and distressed, the culture's unraveling, economy's in bad shape, families are fractured, divorce is rampant, people are all about themselves, And they're cynical, and they're frankly exhausted, and they're tired. And they're like, what is the point? And this is what burdens Malachi, which I am calling wearyship, because God had redeemed them so that they could be restored to worship him, which means to declare his worth, which means to respond to his love out of love for him, To sacrifice for them is what worship would be, to sacrifice to show how valuable and worthy he is. But again, the people's enthusiasm has been fading uh, and it's been doing so quicker and quicker as the waiting begins to feel like forever. And so Malachi's burden, what does the Lord weigh him down with? It's the wearyship that is going on their worship as his people has eroded to wearyship and it's a wearyship for god's people in judah the northern tribes they were long since and now it's just the southern they've come back to judah think jerusalem and i just want you to see this really quick uh, if you take a peek at uh, chapter 2 verse 13 there's a wearyship for god's people in judah in 213 he says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and groaning. Hey, we'd think, man, this is an awesome worship service. I don't know if you've seen the meme uh, on Instagram, but like um, they're talking about a church where you've got the, the AV team and particularly the social media folks. And like when worship is really hitting, hitting it's a video and this like the worship team person, like or a social media person slides up underneath the chair while somebody's doing this just to capture it, to put it on social media. Well, that's what's here. We would say, oh yeah, man, we're weeping, we're crying, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're crying out to God. So they're doing all those things. He says, um, but you're weeping and groaning because God no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. In other words, we're, we're not just weeping like in awe of you. We're, we're weeping because we're like, we're here going through this, but we feel like you've, you've bailed. So they're, we- they're weary about it. Chapter three, verse 14. This is the people you have said it's vain or empty to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? In other words, wearyship looks like this sure feels empty. What is the point? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there may have been many of us today that woke up with that very idea. I mean, what is the point? And I'm not sure what I'll get out of it. And where is God? Because I've been going regularly. Regular nowadays isn't regular like back then. But I've been going regularly. So God, kind of where's the adjusting in the landscape of my life? I'm weary of this. So there was this outward within Malachi's time. There was this outward perfunctory religious service. But there was no inward repentance, no change of heart, no change of direction in the life, and no devotion. Because worship had become tiresome, wearying. They still went through the religious motions. I mean, they they attended services, they mouthed the words, but in their hearts, they wondered whether waiting on God was worth it. I mean, I'll tell you, I work here. And there's some Sundays I'm like, yeah. What I will tell you this, I need to pause, push pause on me for a second, and on this. I, I will tell you, it'd be, a, it'd be a deception for you to hear. That's right, well, I should just wait until I feel like it before I show up at worship. Don't go for that lie. The people of God had these three times at least of a, a, a year where they'd have these feasts and festivals, and they were, they were all supposed to pack up and go to Jerusalem and, and worship. I don't think they all felt like it. I cert- certainly think as they're going and they're having to, you know, they blow a, a wheel on their wagon and the donkey is, breaks its leg, whatever. As they're going, like, what's the point? But just having that rhythm gives the opportunity when you do show up and you're singing out loud, but your heart isn't there for God to go, hey, I, I, I know, right? You know, and, and for God to do a work in your heart while you show up. I can tell you, you don't show up it will erode more and more into wearyship. In fact, into absent. Like, I don't mean absent from here. I mean, absent moving away and withdrawing from God. So beware of that. But back here in their hearts, they're wondering, is this worth it? It was wearyship for them. But I want you to also know this, look at 217 in your Bibles. It was also wearyship for God. It was wearyship for him. 217, this is the Lord speaking to Malachi. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? And then in chapter uh, later in chapter one here in verse 10, basically paraphrasing is God is saying, I'm so sick of the empty worship that you say is tiresome. I wish someone would shut the gates. I wish someone would lock the doors of Allen Bible and say, no more services. God's weary of it. He's, he's like, what I'm after, what Jesus would tell us in John 4, what I'm after is those who worship me in spirit and truth, those who worship me wholeheartedly, those who worship me devotedly, those who, who come to me broken and as they are and say, I need you. And so I want you to get that swath because that is why we're calling this series Wearyship. He has burdened Malachi with it, but I want it to become... And I feel like God would want us to say, Lord, where is it that, that I am not guilty? Where is it that I have um, sort of devolved into a ship? I throw you some bones, but it's mostly to keep you off my back. And my heart's not in it. I don't think most of us in here are like Jesus when he says, you know, they, they, they say this with their lips, but their heart, hearts are far from me. I don't think mo- there, there are probably some of us in here that that's where you are, hear God's invitation back. I think many of us, we're not like hearts far from him. We're just not leaning in. We're just not um, fully attentive to him. We're, we're not the devotion that comes from the very longings God put in you and the loves, the love for him that he initiated and we respond is, is not, it's not full. And so in Malachi, we hear this thr- uh, theme of wearyship. Find comfort in commisery and then find and hear God's invitation to return. Return to me. What matters most to me is that I matter most to you. In fact, I am so for that, that here's all that I did to demonstrate my love. We'll talk about it in just a second so that you might Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Where did the weary ships show up for them? Showed up in their wanderings from God, showed up in their wallets, showed up in their words, bitter and arrogant, like uh, spewing toward the Lord, which we'll see. Showed up in fractured family life. It's not just how you are doing on Sundays. It's what's going on every day. Uh, in their worship services, next week, God is gonna, he's gonna call out the leadership the priest and saying here's here's your responsibility to represent me to the people and the people to me, and it's corrupt uh, the people are are weary because you're leading them down empty wearying ways of worship. we'll talk about that next week, but also not just in their worship services but in their own hearts and minds they're disillusioned they're disheartened and they're as we'll now camp on, they're questioning God's love. And that's actually the first of six disputes. So if you thought, oh man, everything's just, you know, let's all be nice and float around on clouds and like angels play harps. And, I mean, this is a full on like, all right, God, toe to toe with you. My first deal is, how have you loved us? They're questioning God's love. This is the first of six And you're going to see this order, this outline, if you will, of verses one to five. Go back, go back, go back. Magically go back. The Lord says, you say, you will see. That's that's the outline for our few verses here. The Lord says, I have loved you, but you say, how have you loved us? And in the very last verse, he says, you'll see. You'll see. I know you feel like you haven't seen it lately. which is how we often are interacting with God, whether we ever verbalize it or not. It's kind of the, what have you done for me lately, God, rather than what have you done for me that is demonstratedly loving and it is lasting. But he says, here's what the Lord says, here's what you say, and you will see. And that's kind of the pattern. We'll see it. There's six different disputes. They're gonna, it's, it's, It's helping us to see our own heart's motivation, our own hearts when we faint and we're tired and we're bored and we're like, what's the point? I hope you're encouraged that the Bible is real and you don't have to fake it. And that that very real God, his love is very real. And as a part of that, he wants the response of love from us and the response of trust from us and the leaning into him with our whole lives. So that's the outline for today. You could call these six as we go through them um, Q&A, but that would be too tame to call it Q&A because these are really gonna be questions with some bite and some blame where their frustrations are gonna spew, but, but they'll be spoken to and answered by God because he's a God of grace. Uh, by the way, we're not ever told that they voice Um, these grievances or questions. But the God who searches and knows their hearts and ours, he, through Malachi, is going to voice their secret complaints and their embittered suspicions. And you may think, well, I don't have any embittered suspicions toward God. I, I, I hope as we go through this, God gives you the permission to be honest, that sometimes maybe like in my human relationships where I feel like, well, you're not really coming all the way to the lines. I'm going to withhold a little bit of myself. That's That's a suspicion. And that's a, let me play it a little bit safe here to see how this goes. And Malachi is voicing their secret complaints, their embittered suspicions, and I would say, and they are ours. He voices the inner murmurs of people worshiping on the surface while their hearts, again, seem to be in danger of going the other way because they're cultivating the habit of inwardly distancing while outwardly going through emotions. There's singing, there's hand-raising, there's amening, there's giving, there's serving, and yet what God is most after is their hearts. So look at verses two through five. This is gonna be their first one. How have you loved us? These are disheartened people, cynical. It's almost too painful to keep hoping. Why? They'd been off to exile, but now they're back and now it's somewhat rebuilt. But man, life is just not hitting on all cylinders. And we feel like we're not seeing what we'd like to see. Proverbs 13:12 speaks to that. Proverbs 13:12 says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I think these people are just like us. They had hopes. God has brought us back. We've rebuilt the temple. We've begun to worship. And so now it's going to be it. It's just going to keep going up and to the right. But then it doesn't keep going up to the right, or maybe it does, but it doesn't feel any different. And what, where is God? Where is this promised Messiah who will come and make all things right and bring his kingdom and the longer you wait, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And here's what I would say is the point I want us to see today is worship erodes into wearyship when we question God's love. I believe I have a slide for that, Jared. Yeah, worship erodes into wearyship when we question God's love. I had doubt, but I think it's question. because. Uh, I think doubt gets a bad rap in our Christian circles. We're very uneasy when things are, you know, not in their box. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the context that necessitates faith. Doubt is where you can process with the living God, and he invites it. But I have this simple—sorry, I don't know what that flower is. Is that a daisy? What is that? All right. I've just imagined um, a a sweet schoolgirl— In fourth grade on the playground Not the ones that tackled me in fourth grade, by the way Uh, But uh, and, And she's pulling All right, he loves me He loves me not He loves me He loves me not And yeah, that's kind of Sweet little childhood memory thing But Isn't that like How we, depending on the season depending on the disappointment, depending on the success. Isn't that how we think of our God? He loves me. Oh man, I, I, I betrayed that friend. Um, I lied on my you know, reports at work. He loves me not. He loves me. Look, look what I did. I gave today at church and this is my fourth Sunday in a row. He loves me. He loves me not, because then I had attitude with my spouse, right? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And particularly when we're in times of waiting, and we don't feel like we're seeing God moving, we tend to go, he loves me. He loves me not. And we start getting down to the last ones. You're like, oh, no, which one's it going to end on? And I, and I, I pause on that and camp on it a little bit. Because let that simplicity, the simpleness of that, give you the freedom to say, God, am I am I like that? Am I insecure in your love? Am I dismissive of your love for me? Because I feel like I need to earn it. I feel like I need to perform. Because as we go through Malachi, Dave and I were talking about this yesterday, you can read it and go, holy cow, I mean, he is just, you know, <laughs> almost this you're not doing all the do's and don't and all the don'ts that's not what Malachi's getting to he's getting to a heart the heart of worship of declaring his worth above all and particularly being reassured again and secured in i have loved you now, i want to walk through that for just a moment i have loved you uh, I believe it's in the, there we go. I have loved you, says the Lord in verse two. The words um, used in this passage um, there there are two there's one that is a, a, a word that uh, of love that means to choose. I have chosen you. think the the junior high dance i 'm just taking you along elementary school now we're in middle school, junior high dance, and this was nobody had a date, and the boys are over here, the girls are over here now nowadays it 's in Curtis where our kids have gone. The boys are in one gym playing basketball and the girls are trying to dance to Beyonce in here. They don't even, they're not even in the same room. But let's just go back a little bit farther where they're in the same room and somebody walks across the room and says, would would you like to dance? There's something about knowing you're chosen. There's something about someone who set their eyes on you and walked across that room and risk everybody else knowing it and saying, come on. Now, that's a, that's a nostalgic picture. God's, has much, God's choosing of his people then and his choosing of his people now has much more meat to it, uh, has much more substance. In fact, it's eternal substance to it. But he says, I have loved you. Uh, the other, another word is um, uh, in the, we'll see in Malachi, There's the choosing of love, and then there's the loyal love, the hesed of God. Both of them are covenantal, meaning I've put my love on you, I've chosen you, and I'm entering into covenant with you, and my loyal love will never fail. Loving kindness, steadfastness of the Lord will never fail. It's that kind of love. It's a choosing love, and he says, I have loved you. It's perfect tense, and now you're going to get bored and glazed over again but it's, it's a very important, it's something, a very decisive past action that keeps rolling forward and doesn't stop. I have chosen to set my love on you. And, and the commentators would say this. He's not just saying, yeah, I, I loved you back then. I have loved you in that perfect tense to say, I set my love on you. I chose you. Mm-hmm. I am loving you. And I will love you. I probably, for y'all's sake, should go that way. I am loving you. I will love you. And we're going to see that in the book of Malachi. When they're frustrated and they're like, where are you, God? And it's too hard to wait. He says, I have loved you. I am loving you. And I will love you. And I will fulfill what I told you. He's going to get there. He's going to get to John the Baptist and Jesus in chapters three and four. He says, I have loved you. Was it because they were lovely? No, no. I have some slides here from Deuteronomy 7. This will tell you that God's people, it wasn't because they were attractive and lovely that God loved them. It says, for you are a holy people to the Lord, meaning set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, there it is, to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. He's saying, You weren't good looking, you didn't have a resume. I wasn't falling all over myself because of you, but it was because I set my love on you. And and the same thing is true of us in Ephesians 1. He's blessed us with every blessing in the spiritual places because he, he elected us, he predestined us, he chose us in Christ. And so I have loved you with a love That was of my choosing, not your worthiness. And it's of lasting nature because it's my love. Uh, He says, um, and then he says, but you ask, well, how have you loved us? That's their dispute. He says, well, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. And I'm not going to go to the rest of that part. But Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau was the older Jacob was holding on to his heel and the, they fought in the womb Esau as the older should have gotten the the inheritance of the family But Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup But that's actually not even why God chose Jacob Because actually they're both rotten Esau is a, a hairy wicked evil guy and Jacob, his, his own name means like, you know, to supplant, to deceive. His way of even holding on to the heels, like God's way of like, isn't this, isn't this a poignant picture? I hope Rembrandt paints this, you know, Jacob holding on to Esau, trying to get the birth, trying to get the inheritance. And God says, I've chosen him. And then he says, I've hated Esau. It doesn't mean he hates, hates Esau like we use. He's saying, I have chosen Jacob through whom the blessing will go that I promised. And so therefore, I've not chosen that to go through Esau. Think I have accepted Jacob, but not because he's acceptable. And I've rejected Esau, not because Jacob's not rejectable also, but it's because I want to demonstrate my choosing love. I want to demonstrate my faithfulness to to those whom I have set my love on. He also... Now he chooses to set his love on Jacob, but his care is for Israel to be restored. That's where we are now in Malachi. I brought you out of Egypt. We were were walking together. You walked away. I took you away to exile. I brought you back to restore you. But he's not going to restore Esau. He loves his people, Israel, like a father. And I know my sons don't always necessarily, it's not their feeling every moment of every day with me, but I delight in my sons. I love my sons, each one of them. God loves his people, those who are his, as a father, fierce in his love, completely willing to sacrifice, giving himself up, giving up things he could have so that he might provide for them, support them, and for them so that they might be a people of his own possession and live out his purposes to glorify him. And in the process, it actually beautifies and and, and becomes a flourishing life with him. So he is a father who sets his love on them, not because of their loveliness. He's a father who set his love on you, not because of your loveliness. Therefore, if you are in Christ, there is no, he loves me not. No matter what you did this week, no matter what skeletons are in your closet, no matter what you're currently going to as a replacement for him, it's not he loves me not. He loves you. He has loved you. Some of us, we may not feel bored necessarily or exhausted or that kind of deal, but you may feel overlooked. You may feel unnoticed, feel like no one sees you or even cares about you. You feel unworthy. Hear through Malachi that God the Father loves you. Malachi, I want you to notice this. Again, like I said, we can get into Malachi and go, oh, my goodness, this is so harsh, and they're not. it's all about rules and law and all that. I want you to hear this. Malachi starts with love. God, through Malachi, starts with love. An undeserved love, an unconditional love, a set upon them love. And then he gets to rebuke or calling back to what our relationship is to look like in terms of how it gets lived out. And then it moves to hope. He knows that hope is washed out of them. He knows they're exhausted. He's not here to beat them up, but like a father he's here to lean in and say, I have loved you. I want to to move us to verse five. Your eyes will see this. He goes, I know you don't see it right now. I know it's hard to see it right now. I know, and he's saying that to you through Malachi, talking to these folks. You may not be able to see it right now, but your eyes will see this and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. It's that sense of, There'll be an aha moment when God's revelation of himself and what that looks like in your life going, the only explanation, I don't deserve it. Just like Esau didn't, neither did Jacob, and neither did I, and neither did you. And there's aha moments where God says, I've revisited your heart, that I love you, and I've extended mercy to you and grace to you and made you, mind he says you will see it and so it's not just a love that's talked about it's a love that is demonstrated we're gonna go through a couple of verses in the new testament because god says i know you don't want just a bunch of talk talk is cheap if it's not backed up he says i want you to know i have loved you first john four nine and ten and throw that slide up this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When When did he send him? When did Christ die for us? While we were yet sinners. You didn't get your act together. Just like Malachi is love, and then what does this relationship look like? not, you know, it's not law. And then, okay, now you look acceptable. I'll take you. It's, I have loved you, and I demonstrated it while you were yet sinners. Christ died in your place and mine on the cross. And then, so what, now what? I'll just give you two principles. As he's addressing wearyship, both to the people of God, as well as to God. Wearyship can be transformed into worship when we return to our first love. God loved first, so we love and return in response. And even as we do that, often we can cool on our love with him. We can detach. We can have our own wearyship. And, and wearyship can be transformed into worship again when we return to our first love. Revelation 2, Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus. We would have liked the church at Ephesus. They were doctrinally sound. Um, they, they, they taught the scriptures. They were, they were big on them. They sniffed out and squelched out any false teachers. But Jesus says, I have this one thing against you, that you've left your first love. He says, therefore, repent. I mean, turn around go the go back, back the other way and return to your first love. Sorry, Jared, I didn't really go through all those verses. But return... To your first love and that is the invitation for you and for me is to return experience afresh god's love for you if you're like tempted you didn't use that that phrase he loves me not but you know that's kind of how you've approached the last several weeks he's saying return to me and know my love experience my love afresh experience my grace secondly for those who may not have a relationship with the lord yet your wearyship is is just like our wearyship that know jesus except for you're wearied by chasing after anything else that might fill that void and i want us to see that you to see that wearyship transforms into worship that is true and rings true when we receive his love John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, His love was demonstrated that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is a gift. You don't earn it. It's not law. Get your act together. You know, clean up your act, and then I'll love you. As He loved, so He gave. And in response to that, He says, "Whoever believes, you simply today, right now, in your heart, say, Lord." I don't fully even understand like buddy lost me at 432 BC or whatever. But 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 you're opening my eyes right now that the one that I need is Jesus. That he died my death on the cross so that I might have his life because he rose from the grave. And he invites me as one who is weary not to come to a bunch of rules, not to come to church programs. But all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. And so, John 1, 1, uh, 11 and 12 says, says it this way. He came to his own, that's his Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's how much the Father loves you in Christ, that he would give him up to sacrifice and die in your place so that you might know life and forgiveness that's eternally secure and purposeful and full of life now. And that's what we would invite you to. As we go through wearyship, I pray that God would give us the courage to acknowledge where um, we've, we've left our first love. We've grown perhaps stale in our devotion. Again, The the kingdom of God is more about hunger and thirst and the longings God already put in you than it is about you getting your stuff together. And so hear him voicing the very longings that maybe are stuffed deep. Return to me. Come to me. Matter, may I matter most to you. Worship team, come up. We're going to sing How Deep the Father's Love just as a way to... finish with that theme resonating in our minds but just for a moment quiet your quiet your hearts bow your heads they'll begin to play I'll, I'll I'll pray they'll begin to play and then we'll stand to sing right where you are ask God to help you hear his voice now to hear his encouragement maybe to hear his invitation. Most of all, hear him say to you, I have loved you. And I have loved you in my son. If you are a believer, you are clothed in his son. So when he looks at you, He's not saying, I love him, I love him not. I love her, I love her not. He's not flippant. He's not capricious. He's not all over the road. He is ever steady in fixing his love on you and will never become unfixed because that's how faithful he is in his love. But ask him to help you to receive and experience his love anew, even as we sing these words is there of a demonstrated love in history that matters for eternity? Would you stand and let's praise him reflecting on how much he has loved us in Christ. When the song is over, you are